The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. 18 states, six cities, and the bipartisan U.S. Conference of Mayors are suing to block the Trump administration from adding a citizenship question to the 2020 census. California filed a lawsuit to block the question last week. Joining me is Leon Fresco, a partner at Holland and Knight. Leon, what are the plaintiffs arguing in the lawsuit? The plaintiffs essentially have one simple claim, which is that the constitutional requirement of counting every single person, which is required by the Constitution, is undermined and diminished by the count by the requirement of a citizenship uh, question. Hence, that the, the, the addition of this question violates both the Constitution and the Administrative Procedure Act because the government is intentionally including a question that they know will produce an undercounted census. So, is this another case where the argument is that the Trump administration hasn't followed the proper procedures for putting in another question? Correct. There's two There's two cases. There's two, sorry, there's two claims. One is that they haven't followed the proper procedures because they say that there are many times when a question is added in the census, the tradition is that you have many tests uh, samples that you do to see if that question actually hurts participation in the census. And they say that this new question hasn't been tested, and that in fact the position of the federal government since 1980, every time it's been asked, is that a citizenship question reduces participation. And so the agency couldn't shift position so quickly and say that this wouldn't decrease the number of people participating without actually having tested it. And then second, they say that this is just illegal because they, the, because the Constitution requires an actual enumeration of all people in the United States doing something that, that the government knows won't produce an actual enumeration of all people in the United States violates the law. Leon, what's the response of the Trump administration been? What's their defense to this? So the Trump administration says two things. One, that prior to 1950, this question was asked and nobody sued and nobody thought it was a problem for the census. And then even since 1950, not in the census itself, but in the American Community Survey, which is a survey that the Census Bureau does every couple of years, and they do it as part of the Department of Commerce, that this question is asked and that this doesn't reduce participation. That's their view. Uh, people might might uh, disagree about that. And and they also say that this question is needed in order to make decisions about uh, who how these district works in terms of the Voting Rights Act so that they can actually try to, to figure out the, uh, what are fair districts that aren't discriminatory and that if you, if you only know pure numbers and not numbers of voters, you might not be able to uh, appropriately make districts that are not discriminatory. Leon, is there any evidence evidence 
it, it seems likely that immigrants who are, are not who are not uh, legally here wouldn't want to go and, and complete the census form if this question is asked. But is there any evidence that backs that up? Well, the, the, the problem is no. It's a lot, of, a lot of this is speculative and conjecture with the, with the one caveat that that is the stated position of the Census Bureau since 1980. So there was a brief that was done by nine, uh, there was an amicus brief that was done uh, in a different case, not about adding the question itself, but where nine previous directors of the Census Bureau on a bipartisan basis all stated in that brief that it is their belief that adding the uh, the citizenship question would decrease participation. And what the states say in this lawsuit is, even if you didn't think that before, now with the kinds of policies the Trump administration is putting in, people have more of a reason to be afraid. And so we've never tested this environment of, of asking a, a question like this in this environment, where imagine if a government census worker is actually coming up to you and asking you this question, can you confuse them potentially if you're an undocumented person for an ICE agent? And so this is the concern and the fear about adding this question at this point. There are already moves in Congress to stop this question from being asked, including by two uh, new York representatives. Carolyn Maloney has introduced a bill, and Jose Serrano says he's going to offer an amendment to the fiscal 2018 omnibus spending bill. Is Are any moves in Congress likely to stop this? Well, if they were to defund, so if, uh, for Mr. Serrano's bill, for instance, he's the ranking member on what's called the Commerce, Justice, and Science Appropriations Committee. And so if he actually was successful in defunding the ability to ask that question in the census, then that question could not be asked in the census. But the question is, on, in all of these kinds of issues, if Democrats en masse vote against something like that and say we won't vote for a spending bill that actually includes this, then what they're doing is theoretically shutting down the government over this census question. And that's where it becomes tough, is, is are they really willing to go to that length in order to get the census question not placed in there? Because that's what your bargaining chip is when you're trying to put it in an appropriations bill. All right. And so that's the question, and no one knows. All right. So about a minute here, Leon. How likely is it that a court in either New York or California will at least put the question on hold while the litigation proceeds. I think it's pretty likely that given that the given that this lawsuit was filed in the Southern District of New York, where there are a lot of judges that are sympathetic to this uh, case, if for no other reason also because, you know, the number of judges ends up getting uh, apportioned a lot of times based on the, the size of the population, etc. I think that uh, I think you could see an injunction for, for the meantime in saying, look, this wasn't tested, the procedure wasn't done, uh, wasn't done but I do think uh, it, it will be hard to sort of figure out what the irreparable harm will be to move that through the through the court quickly but the government will certainly argue that it's irreparably harmed by not adding not asking this question which is kind of hard to prove because seven decades they haven't asked the question so if they just get one injunction it'll be hard to uh to get it back in the census in time okay thanks as always leon that's leon fresco a partner at holland and knight Be careful what you argue when you're dealing with special counsel Robert Mueller. 
You may get a 282-page response from Mueller shooting down your argument, as Paul Manafort did. The former Trump campaign chairman argued that prosecutors overstepped their authority by charging him with crimes beyond Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election. The special counsel responded with a detailed memo explaining his power to investigate and charge Manafort and attaching a secret government memorandum from acting Attorney General Rod Rosenstein detailing that authority and confirming the oversight Rosenstein testified to before Congress last December. I know what he's doing. I'm appropriately exercising my oversight responsibilities. And so I can assure you that the special counsel is conducting himself consistently with our understanding about the scope of his investigation. My guest is William Banks, a professor at Syracuse University Law School. Bill, does this memo shut down this part of Manafort's defense strategy? I think it does, June. You'll recall earlier Manafort brought a civil action to attempt to, to quash the lawsuit on the grounds that the investigation was beyond the scope of Mueller's authority. Uh, that's going nowhere. And now he's done what he, what most criminal defendants would do, which is to challenge the authority for the investigation. But I think even without the new memorandum that you just referenced in your clip, uh, that the argument was a long shot. And I think now with a, a memorandum specifically detailing the kind of questions that Mueller was investigating, Concerning Manafort, I think it's uh, game, set, and match. I think it's over. There's a footnote in the memo from a section of the Code of Federal Regulations which notes that the special counsel has the authority to investigate federal crimes that interfere with the special counsel's investigation, such as perjury, obstruction of justice, destruction of evidence, and intimidation of witnesses. They didn't have to put that footnote in. Is it a warning shot Mueller is firing? Well, it might be, given the, given the record, even, you know, this memo is dated August of 2017. So in the months before that, we already had evidence beginning with Mr. Flynn uh, that people in the campaign or central to the Trump organization might not have been uh, completely forthcoming, shall we say, in their interviews with the independent counsel's office. So I think it is a warning. Is does it does this memo show how meticulous the special counsel is as he gets his authority? Well, they're highly meticulous. They have been from the beginning. Uh, they don't leak. Uh, Mueller does not make public statements. Uh, it's it's an extraordinarily uh, efficiently and professionally run organization, and we shouldn't expect anything different. I think until its conclusion. The Washington Post reported that Mueller informed President Trump's attorneys last month that he does not consider Trump to be a criminal target in the Russia investigation. Explain the implications of being a criminal target and whether this means Trump is in the clear. Yes, it's a, it is an important use of language here. So he's not a target. That means that he's not subject to indictment. And that is because it's almost certain that a president may not be legally indicted while he's still in office. That's Justice Department policy, and it has been for a long time, and it's highly unlikely that Mr. Mueller would attempt to circumvent or or make a case against existing Justice Department policy. At the same time, he, he indicated that the president is a subject of the investigation instead of a target. Subject means that he's still talking to the president and that the material that the president might provide 
to Mueller or his team could assist in developing uh, evidence that could be used against others who could become targets or who eventually uh, could include the president as a potential target down the road. If he wasn't the subject of the investigation, he might be characterized, say, as a witness. Uh, But he wasn't. He was characterized as a subject. So Mueller still believes that the president's got something to say that's going to be useful to them as they try to get to the bottom of the Russia portion of this investigation, as well as the obstruction uh, possibility uh, involving the president himself. I I know it's never been done before, but could a president be indicted after he leaves office? Yes, he could. Uh, Then he's a citizen like you and me. So he's subject to indictment at that time. It could happen. But, you know, the more the more likely remedy is the one that's been exercised a few times in our history. That is impeachment. If there are serious uh, charges that could give grants. Bill, why do you think Mueller wants an interview with Trump so much? I mean, they keep pressing it. They haven't served a subpoena. Right. I think there are two two. Uh, lines of inquiry that Mr. Mueller would very much like to pursue with the president. One involves the circumstances surrounding the termination of Mr. Comey. Uh, Did Trump fire Comey because of Comey's refusal to say that he was not uh, a target of uh, of the investigation? The second line, of course, is his knowledge, the president's knowledge, about what members of his team campaign-related or otherwise, uh, uh, did or had communications with uh, Russians or others involved outside the United States in uh, an attempt to support his candidacy. So, Bill, Manafort has really come under fire from Mueller. He has all these different, you know, the the indictments against him. He's got Gates to testify against him. We don't know what else he has. Do you suppose that Mueller is still hoping that that Manafort will flip? I believe he is. That's the way that if you're reading tea leaves, I think here every day the screws turn a little tighter against Mr. Manafort and the almost certain failure of this motion to dismiss the indictment that we talked about earlier, I think it tightens the screws yet again. And so now uh, Mr. Manafort might be looking for a presidential pardon. And absent a pardon, uh, I think we might be looking at a, at a flip because otherwise he's in very serious uh, legal jeopardy. Well, we have about uh, 45 seconds left. You brought up the pardon. What if he does get a pardon from a presidential pardon that wouldn't cover crimes in New York? And supposedly the the New York um, AG is looking into this. Yes, that's correct. And that would be true of others involved in, in this entire investigation as well. In some circumstances, there are potential state charges. I know I've heard in New York and possibly Pennsylvania for some of the officials under investigation. That's why we have a federal system. So the federal uh, uh, the federal pardon is only part of the uh, concern that uh, each of them would have to focus on. All right, Bill. Thanks as always. That's William Banks, a professor at Syracuse University Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.